Well, if you have your copy of God's Word and would like to open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we're going to look at a couple of verses there. Um, we're not going to cover all of them. I know you guys were really looking forward to hearing about what a holy kiss is. Um, sorry, we're not going to touch that one today, but it's, it's not, yeah. Um, one of our family's favorite movies is the movie How to Train Your Dragon. And uh, how many of you guys have seen that? Most people, a lot of people, okay. It's, it's part of the reason we like it is because it has something to do with Scandinavian stuff, which I'm, I, my family is Scandinavian. Um, really cute story about these people up in, in Scandinavia, these Vikings, and rather than, you know, the pillaging and the thieving and all the things that we hear about Vikings, these Vikings are generally fairly peaceable and their biggest enemies are dragons. And so you have the, the main character is this guy named Stoic. And he's just this big strapping man. He's the protector of the village. He's, you might think of him as the king or the mayor or the Jim Brown of work. Um, and then he has a son who couldn't be more different than him. If Stoic is big and huge and strong, Hiccup, his son's name, is tiny. I mean, he is a scrawny little guy. And, and he wants so much to be the Viking that everybody wants him to be. Uh, and, and yet, it's so interesting in the movie, there are a few different times when both Stoic and a couple of the other folks are commenting to Hiccup about his inadequacies, shortcomings, all the things that he's just not good about. And, and they, they look at him and they say, well, it, it's, it's just you, all of you, all of you. And, and he, he responds, well, you just gestured to all of me. It's as though he's saying... So inside out, you are inadequate to be an appropriate Viking. And while I think that uh, the father was a bit misguided in his parenting, there's a part of that that is true for all of us. The sin that has stained our lives from birth makes us unfit for a relationship with God. But God made a way for us to be back into a good relationship with him, and he hasn't, and he won't give up on us. And sometimes I think it's, to, it's easy for us to think about our spiritual lives and our physical lives as completely separate. What happens on Sunday has no ramification on Monday. And yet I think what we, and, and so what we believe and sing and pray is detached from all the things. But just as Hiccup's father gestured to all of Hiccup as being inadequate, so too we learn in these final verses of 1 Thessalonians that God's work in us is not just in our spirit, it's not just in our heart, but it's in our minds and in all of who we are. It's in our bodies. And so let me give, a, give you a little background. Kids, I know you haven't been here for the last few weeks. You've been down in, in Kids Connection learning about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, but over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the church of Thessalonica the, in, in the letters, to, in this first letter to the Thessalonians. And after about three weeks of evangelism, Paul had to leave because there was so much persecution, but yet this church got started in just three weeks, and they had this genuine faith. And throughout the letter, we've seen Paul give thanks to God for what he's seen in the faith of the Thessalonians. They faced some challenges. They've had to learn how to live as Christians in light of the fact that their culture is very non-Christian, very pagan, if you will. And so Paul corrects the things that, that they've got wrong. But they also had some misunderstandings in how and when Christ would return. So Paul informed them on what was going to happen. So here in the closing verses, Paul offers up a sort of summary prayer 
and a few final exhortations. And I want to focus on Paul's prayer because I think it speaks volumes to God's work in us. Look at 1 Thessalonians. Ishmael, that word is hard to say, isn't it? 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 to 24, it says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. We might even summarize it this way, that the God of peace who calls all of you will sanctify and keep all of you blameless until Jesus returns. And so if you want to follow along in your, in your outline, here's where kind of the blanks jump in. And first of all, I think we see in this prayer that God calls all of you. God calls all of who you are. God calls, but he doesn't need to pick up a phone. He doesn't need to dial. He doesn't need to make sure he's got your cell number. He has an ability to call without a landline or a cell phone. He calls. He initiates this relationship with you and me. The, the great scientist has said, uh, Pascal has said that there's a, a God-shaped void inside of each of us, and there's something in us that longs for a relationship with God. And I think this is why there are so many religions out there. So people start all these things because they know that God exists, and maybe they don't want to believe what the Bible says about how to relate to him. So they start all these religions. They start these things in order to perform, in order to appease God. They're trying to work or earn their salvation. And yet, as Charles Spurgeon said, he said, Beloved, here is a test for us. Is our religion a receiving religion? Or is it a working and earning religion? An earning religion sends souls to hell. It is only a receiving religion that will take you to heaven. You see, in our relationship with God, it's God who calls. It's God who initiates. It's God who starts the process. It's God who reaches out with his Holy Spirit to draw us into a relationship with him. But not only does God call you, he's not just calling your spirit. Yeah, he may speak to you there, but it is God who calls all of you. It is God who calls all of who you are. Look again at verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, and we might even say whole soul and whole body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God doesn't just want part of you. He's not working in just one aspect of your being. He's working in all of you. The God who is making peace between us and him is calling all of who you are and all of who I am into a stronger, more fervent, sanctified relationship with him. See, think about it like this. If God just wanted your soul or your mind, that would only affect how you think, but it might not affect how you live. If God only wanted your spirit, it would affect your prayer life, but it might not affect your mind. If God only wanted your body, then we'd go around being mindless robots, mindlessly obeying what God tells us to do because we're not thinking about it and we're not responding to him. But God wants all of us. D. Martin Lord, David Martin Lloyd-Jones said, faith always shows itself in the whole personality. Jesus, when he died on the cross, died to save all of who you are. 
to set you and me apart for him, which brings us to the second point, and that is God consecrates all of you. God consecrates all of you. That word consecrate, I know, is, is kind of a word that we don't use in our, our everyday life. It's related to the word we see as, in our text as sanctify or to make holy. We, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Jackie ad- adequately noted that I, I have a red cup, but this is not the red Yeti that we talked about being sanctified. But this too is sanctified for me. This is the cup that you'll find in my office all the time. And today it's got cinnamon tea in it. But here's the thing. Think about this. When something is sanctified, if you remember, we talked about that it has to be designated to be sanctified. It has to be set apart. It has to, it's as though God says, that one is mine. This cup is mine. That person is mine. That person belongs to God. But then we also talked about the fact that um, sanctification or this consecration has this idea of being identified as being with Jesus, being identified with Jesus' things. And then we also get into association where our actions more and more are associated with holiness and with sanctification. Or think about it like this. I'm not a good wood, woodworker. In fact, I thought about ha- asking Vern if he could bring his, his lathe in and we could talk about how to turn wood and, and make pens and things like that. But imagine this. If took a block of wood or as though our lives are a block of wood, and God says, hey, this is, this is mine. This is, this is Jack. Jack is now mine. And I'm going to do all these cool things in Jack's life. And so over the next 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, I'm going to peel away this. I'm going to add some oil in there. I'm going to do all these things to, to form Jack into exactly the person that I've called him to be. That's that sanctifying work that God is doing in us. And imagine this. Imagine that we have an entire lifetime for God to be consecrating, God to be sanctifying, God to be perfecting us. And man, by the time we get to glory, what a masterpiece that will be. And so it, it may, for me, it raises the question, how, how does he do that carving work in us? It's not as though he takes a knife and whittles away the wood. It's not as though he lays us on a lathe and begins turning the wood in order to make us something beautiful. It seems that God refines us and shapes us, sanctifies us with positive things. From his word, as we read it, we, we learn new things and we begin to in, incorporate God's way of thinking into our lives and begin to yield our lives to his. We, we understand it from other Christians as we learn, as we watch people live and we see the Christian life modeled. It was such a joy yesterday in the men's breakfast to hear from several guys who, who talked about their experience as husbands, what it meant to be, um, to be a husband, how, how they had learned and grown, and it was a joy to be able to hear these guys, whether they've been married 15, 10, 15, 20 years, or 40, 50 years. But there are things that we learn from other Christians. And then there are those things that the Holy Spirit, he sort of takes his word and, and implants it in our mind and says, hey, you need to adjust this. That, that habitual word that you have, let, let's not do that. That way of thinking about this activity, let, let's pull back on that. Or that person that you've been thinking about, why don't you give them a call? But I think in addition, having positive things that God is putting in our lives, almost like oil on a piece of wood to keep it moist and smooth. 
he carves and sanctifies and forms us with things that we might see as negative by using difficult people and situations to challenge our way of thinking or our old ways of reacting. Sometimes he allows sickness as a way of saying, hey, you're not all that in a bag of chips. You need to calm down. Sometimes he uses persecution as a way of removing those old habits and replacing them with the positive things that he's adding. The consecrating and sanctifying work can and I think will be painful, but it'll be worth it as we get to enjoy the fruit of God's work in our lives for eternity. So God calls you, and when you respond, God consecrates all of you and is working to sanctify you for your entire life. But thirdly, God keeps all of you. One of the things we see in this passage is that Jesus will keep our whole being, body, mind, spirit, as blameless. Yeah, we will still do wrong things. We will still make mistakes. We will still sin against God. But once we've been redeemed, consecrated for him, we are his forever. We are preserved, sealed for eternity. And since it's God who does the saving and keeping, it's up to him to accomplish all that he intends to, that sanctifying work. The message translation says, says this. It says, the one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. And we can trust him. Since it's up to him, you and I can't lose our salvation. Eternal, our eternal destiny is sealed up in him. And once we are consecrated as, as his, we are his forever. There's a song, an old song that was kind of revived in the last few years. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. I would try to sing it, but you know, I can't hardly even speak today. But listen to some of the text of this song. We don't have it on the screen, so you just have to hear it. But it says, when I fear my fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep a hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. And here's that eternal part. He'll, he'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold fast. And it concludes, for my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast till our faith is turned to sight when he comes at last. Beloved, Christ will keep you for eternity. We don't have to worry about it when things are difficult, when life seems hopeless, when the trials seem endless. Rest in the confidence of knowing that he will hold you. He will hold you fast. He will keep you. So as we think more personally about the fact that God calls all of you, he consecrates all of you and keeps all of you, there is one I think we need to consider. And that is that God compels all of you. 
God compels all of you. In, in theological terms, we, could, we would refer to this as irresistible grace or the compelling way that God draws us into a relationship with him. It's as though we can't help but respond. There's a theologian, a guy named Joel Beakey, who said, though irresistible, irresistible grace is of God calling sinners. Let me back up. Though the irresistible grace of God in calling sinners is forceful and compelling, it works in such a way that the sinner's will is so renewed that when he comes to Christ, he does so gladly and willingly. Think about that. God draws us, and it's as though we may be, for a while, we may be pushing our hands back, saying, no, God, I don't want to walk into that relationship. I don't want to do that. But at some point in time, our hearts begin to change, and God softens us. And we say, okay, God, here I come. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we, how do we respond to God's call? And there, there's a, I heard it, the, the acronym ABCs of salvation. I added a, a fourth one for this. So this is the ABCDs of salvation. The first thing we have to do is admit that we're a sinner in need of God's forgiveness, that we are wrong, that we have sin in our lives. And so as though we go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. And that was something I did when I was five years old. My, I, I, I have mentioned this before, but my dad, I asked my dad, I said, how do I become a Christian? He said, Joel, you have to Admit that you have wrong in your life. And so I, that night I prayed. I said, Jesus, please forgive me. But the second part, the letter B, is that we must believe. We have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for us. Because if we're just confessing, but we're not receiving what Christ has done, then all we're doing is, is a performance-based religion. But now by believing, we are receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior, trusting that what he did on the cross paid the just penalty for our sin. And then the third step isn't so much a requirement, but it's a good thing to remember that we need to commit to learn, to grow, to live in a way that pleases God. Press on, go forward, read his word, participate in the body of Christ. And then finally, declare, Go public with your faith through baptism. Say, yes, I am Jesus. And we talked about this before. It's like wearing a wedding ring. Everybody knows, yeah, I'm taken. I'm off the market. I can't be. When we go public with our faith, it's as though we're telling everybody else, I am I'm with Jesus. He is mine. I am his. And so I want to encourage you, if you've not yet responded to Jesus Christ as your Savior, let it be today. Let it be today. So God compels us into a relationship with him. He, he draws us in, but in, in to salvation. But I think there's another part where, where God does that. He compels us in that sanctifying pro, pro, uh, process. It's our progress toward holiness that we are gradually yielding to the convicting work of the Spirit in our lives. We get to do the work that becomes more identified with him, with the help of the spirit, the word, and the church. So in closing, I, I, I mentioned at the beginning that we could summarize this passage this way by saying the God of peace who calls all of you will sanctify and keep all of you blameless until he returns. God calls you into relationship with him 
He consecrates you for his glory. And then he keeps you until Jesus returns. You're his forever. He compels you, all of you, to live for him. In the movie, How to Train Your Dragon, Hiccup had to be who he was made to be. I mean, he was just drawn. But Hiccup was so different from everybody else, he couldn't do things a normal Viking At the end of the movie, rather than fighting all these dragons, the, the people of the town of Burke decided to learn how to train their dragons. And, and, and now the dragons are like pets, and it's just this joyous thing. And so at the very end of the movie, all these people are around. Hiccup wakes up from his big injury and his heroic moment. And Stoic, his father, stands up and he says, he, he points to, to Hiccup and he says, I, I guess what we needed, Hiccup, was just a little more of you. And Hiccup said, you just gestured to all of me. And the whole point that I'm trying, I want to get across is that when all of who we are is yielded to Christ for his glory, imagine the things that God can do through us. When guys like Ned are willing to sacrifice a weekend to go spend time with guys who are convicted felons, to share the good news of Jesus Christ, I've heard stories about that ministry and what happens as a result. But what about in our neighborhoods? What about at school? If we are totally sold out for Christ, imagine what impactful things God will do to us. So I guess in closing, I want you to understand that God, God's got you. The question is, do you have him? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the joy of worshiping together with the kids. Thank you for the joy of singing your praises. God, thank you for calling us into a relationship with you, and I pray that you would help us to yield all of who we are to you. That as you do that beautiful, sanctifying work, carving us, forming us, molding us into your image, that you would fashion us in the likeness of your son. May people see Jesus Christ through us at school, at work, in our neighborhoods, in prison, on the plains of the Philippines or California. Wherever we go, may we be your ambassadors for your glory.